If you're newer to the church, you probably haven't heard our mission statement. The rest of you are thoroughly annoyed by it, and I will repeat it again. Our mission at Northwest Church uh, is that we are on mission to see the lost saved and disciples made, and it's a rhymy way of saying that the mission of the church has never changed and it will not change for us. It is about evangelism and discipleship at its core. And so this weekend, Missions Weekend, we're emphasizing that go part of us. That's part of who we are and what we do. We, we don't only build up each other in discipleship. We do that. But we also want to go in the name of Jesus and in any way possible, whatever way God has gifted us, called us, and given us opportunity, we want to make him known. That's who we are. That's what we do in whatever way. We don't just gather and sing. We don't just sit and learn, but we go in the love and the power of Jesus. Amen. That is what the church does. That is what we must do. I was um, thinking about this fire that I saw, and I wanted to show you a picture here real quickly. If you go down the M-Wing Hall, and as you enter into the hall, you look directly to your right, we filled that hall with a lot of stuff. And the reason that we did is I want you to see this. I want you to see the area that you live in. You'll notice that Federal Way is right there in the surrounding region, so we have all of our cities that represent there. Come on, Auburn. Everybody say, who's from Auburn? Here we go. A couple of you. All right. Edgewood, Milton, Tacoma. Okay, I see you Tacoma people. Uh huh. How about Puyallup? Any of you from Puyallup? All right, we got a couple of you. Okay, Sumner, who drove a long way. You don't even want to admit it. All right. (laughs) Bonnie Lake, Kent, SeaTac, Des Moines, Burien. Listen, this is our region. All right, now? (laughs) Burien people showed up today. (laughs) You're like, we are not the armpit of this region. I'll tell you what. I don't care what people said. And I live in Federal Way, not Felony Way, I'll have you know. (laughs) But this is our house. God has given us this property. This is our house. The church is not the building, and the building is not the church. The church is the people, but this is our house. Just like a family has a house, the family is not the house, but it's where they reside. And what we do is we come here and we get equipped and we get fired up to go and show love and good deeds into the world. And so there's got to be something about us where there's a fire stirring and brewing in this place, and it spreads. We don't just want it to stay here. We want it to go everywhere. That's our heart. That's who we are and, and why I wanted you to see that, uh, that picture. But there is a critique of the modern American church or the Western church, and that is this. You've heard it. It's that we are disconnected from the world. We're inactive in our communities, and we're unresponsive to the needs that are around us. That's the critique that we hear. And that might be true for some of the church, but it cannot be true for us. It reminds me of a story when I became a Christian. About a year later, I got involved in prison ministry. And the reason I did is because I felt like God had snatched me from the bad type of fire. He pulled me out of darkness and into his glorious light, and I wanted to go back into places where people didn't have second chances. Like, they literally didn't just get convicted by the Holy Spirit. They got convicted by Washington State. You understand? And so I thought, I want to go back to to places and give back because I was on that path. You know, I could have easily been in those places because of where I came from. And so I started going into all the major prisons and jails. I've been to almost every major prison and jail in Washington State and been able to minister the gospel. And that's where I actually learned how to preach. And so you guys are kind of connecting the dots now. (laughs) It's like, oh, that makes a lot of sense, Pastor Ben. But I learned how to preach in, in ministering in prisons. 
And I signed up for this one prison ministry, and with all due respect, I love them and everything. And because everybody that was involved in this prison ministry came from different denominations and backgrounds, we had to sign what's called a statement of faith that we affirm together, whether you're Calvary Chapel or Assembly of God or Pentecostal or Lutheran or Episcopalian or wherever you come from, they had you sign a statement of faith that says you agree that you believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You also believe in the word of God. It is the eternal word of God. It's not just man's opinion. And there were other doctrines. Jesus is the only way. So obviously, because we all come from different backgrounds, we have to affirm the core beliefs of Christianity. And so, of course, I signed that. But they also made me sign another document. And that document basically stated that we would not talk or teach about the Holy Spirit. And I didn't quite understand that, other than like maybe a core doctrine of Trinity or something. But I didn't really understand that because um, at that time I was just a young believer. So I signed it and didn't care. But I realized something. Now, the reason they had us sign it was because it was a very divisive issue. Some believe this about the Holy Spirit, some believe that. So they were just trying to mitigate all of the risks and just keep it focused on the gospel. So I was like, amen, whatever. But the longer that I preached in prisons, the longer that I did Bible studies, the longer that I ministered to men and women, young and old in prison, I realized that I was preaching the commands of Scripture, but I was not talking about the power by which you and I can actually live what this book talks about. And so I I left that ministry and signed up for another ministry that didn't care, and they were all about it because I knew I can't tell you what to do without also telling you that there is access to power that enables you to do it. And friends, that's why I'm a Pentecostal. I'm not a Pentecostal because I grew up that way. I certainly didn't. I'm not charismatic because I want to be or I like all the goosebumps and all that kind of stuff or whatever. I don't like weird stuff. I don't want people to be weird. I want the genuine move of the Holy Spirit. I don't want anybody to fake it. In fact, that stuff is not welcome at our church. We are a Bible-centered, spirit-filled people. We need to be a church that is both full of the Word and of the Holy Spirit's power. And that's what I learned back in those days. You can't just preach the Bible. You also have to tell people you can have power to live it. You don't just have to strive and try hard. God's given you everything that you need. But I I want you to know that there has been a silent divorce in Christianity today between churches of the word and churches of the spirit. And you know, when a divorce happens in the natural, what will happen is the kids will usually go with mom or dad. And I think that's what's happened in Christianity. Some of the kids went to Bible churches and some of the kids went to the Holy Spirit churches. That's sort of what you kind of find. But I believe that we need to have a church of the word and a church of the of the Spirit. Bible churches emphasize accurate study, interpretation, doctrine, and, uh, and learning. Pentecostal charismatic churches emphasize the voice, the power, the baptism, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is the doing. But if we have both, that's where we need to be. I heard somebody say this one time, all word and no spirit, we dry up. All spirit and no word, we blow up. But with word and spirit, we grow up. Amen. I like that. A church on fire has both. A church on fire has both. And that's, that's, who we, that's who we want to be. You know, Jesus walked with his disciples for about three years. He was the best teacher that anybody could ever have. He gave them the clearest doctrine. His interpretation is the right interpretation. Amen. They walked with him. They got all the knowledge. He demonstrated the ministry and temporarily gave them power at times to do short-term missions. But after Jesus died and rose again before he ascended, he said in Luke 24, 49, stay in the city 
until you are clothed with power from on high. Do not go out and do what I've been doing until you receive what I promised. Here's what he's saying. Knowledge is not enough. What you know doesn't make you go. Come on, that rhyme. Go ahead and smile. Amen. (laughs) What you know doesn't make you go. You need more than knowledge. You need the knowledge, but you need more than the knowledge, friends. And so Jesus said this in Acts 1, or Jesus said this in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power to the disciples when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of, of the earth. Here's the principle. To be witnesses of Jesus, even today, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. If you feel like you're a bad witness of Jesus, the only thing that's missing is you need to be more full of his spirit. You don't need to get up and go, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. How's that working out for you? Friend, you need more of God's spirit. Fill me with your spirit, God. Baptize me with your power. Give me the ability to do what I have proved successfully I am not able to do. That's the posture of a spirit-filled, Bible-grounded person. And there are truths found in the beginning of the church, the genesis of the church in Acts chapter 2. When Jesus said, go and wait, that's exactly what they did. And I just want to read that story. Some of us are very familiar with it, but on the day of Pentecost, and here's what it says in Acts chapter 2 and uh, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together, and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed, and they were astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, and it goes down 13 other names here. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongue speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking, and they were saying, they're full of sweet wine. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, he raised his voice and he declared to them, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And now he's going to quote from Joel chapter 2, which is an 800-year-old prophecy. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. I will grant wonders in the sky above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire, vapor of smoke, and the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And look at this, verse 21. And all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? This is the word of the Lord. This is the story of the birth of the church, and this is where they were set on fire. The rest of the book of Acts details. It's a detailed account of 30 years of what the believers did after they were filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and had the message of Jesus, spreading that to the known world. I just want to look at four things today with the time that I have. They're very simple points, but I started to think about what actually motivates us to go, what motivates us to do. And I want to tell you something, it's not just the knowledge. We need more than that. We need what God gave then, and we need it consistently and continually. So this is a church on fire, and what do we read about when we see a church on fire? Well, the first thing is this, the church gathered around the word of God. I want to remind you why the disciples and the 120 are in the upper room. They are there because Jesus said, go into Jerusalem and stay there. They don't know exactly how all this is going to lay out. Do they know tongues as a fire and wind and all this? Do they know all of that's going to happen? No, they know that the promise of the Holy Spirit's going to come. They have no idea what that's going to look like. They are just obeying the words of Jesus, and that is their posture. So this passage starts with them in obedience to the word of God. And then the rest of the book of Acts is filled with a church that has the Bible as the centrality of who they are and what they do. And later in the chapter, I think it's verse 42, it says that they were meeting in homes and they were gathering around the apostles' doctrine, which has become, of course, the Bible in our day. They gathered around the word, not just to know it, but to obey it. Everybody say, obey. You know the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. Jesus said, go into all the world, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and watch this, and teach them to obey everything I commanded you. Teach them to obey everything I commanded you, and I'm with you until the end of the age. Jesus did not say, teach them to know. Obviously, to obey, you have to know. He said, teach them to obey. And that is a missing piece of the modern Western church. We teach people to know. We have hundreds of Bible studies. But friends, at some point, we've got to get converted from the knowing to the doing. And that's what Jesus called his disciples to stir up in the body of Christ. That's a church on fire where they convert the knowing into doing. The knowing has to equal the going, or you're just going to get bored with Christianity. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not that good of a preacher. I'm pretty average. And so if all you and I do is come and listen to this guy and sing a couple songs and sit and give a little money, friends, we will be bored with Christianity because that's not Christianity. Christianity is meant to be on fire in our hearts, in our neighborhoods, and in the nations. And it happens when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. You and I are not going to read this book and go, wow, uh, uh, I'm just going to get up and do that. First, we have to read the book, but we've got to move beyond that. They gathered around God's word, not just in the gatherings, but also in their homes. And I would like to say it this way. When the Bible ceases to be the centerpiece of a church, then that gathering ceases to be a New Testament church. And that's the danger of the modern progressive Christian movement today is they just cut out pieces of the Bible. And when you do that, you don't have Christianity anymore. The reason that we warn against that method of Christianity and that it's not Christianity at all is because it equals no fruit. It does not obey what Jesus wants. It doesn't follow Jesus' truth, and it has no eternal results. We want what the book says. And so if we're going to have biblical fruitfulness, friends, we have to have biblical faithfulness, period. We gather around God's word, and this is what it's like to build a fire. The second thing about a church on fire is the church encountered the presence of God. You know, you see this in the passage. They weren't just hanging out watching 
Jerusalem Netflix, you know, that's not what they were doing in the upper room. Like the upper room wasn't like a movie theater, you understand? Like they were up there and they were worshiping and fasting and praying and waiting and they had a holy expectation that God was gonna show up. Friends, God showed up in those days and he still shows up today. But part of the problem is we're not expecting anything to happen. And we've gotta go back to that place where we are expecting God to show up the manifest presence of God to show up in our midst. Did you come to church thinking God's going to show up today? Come on, stop the grumble. Do something here. (laughs) Did you, listen, friends, God can show up right now and change anybody's life and set us on fire. That's God. Maybe we can't do that, but God certainly can. Can I get an amen? Give give me something. I don't know. Verse 2 says, suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each of them. They built an altar, and God sent the fire. They had the posture right. They were praying. They were fasting. They were seeking. They were in holy expectation, and God sent a heavenly flame. The wind and the fire were symbols that would have reminded them of the stories that their ancestors told. You'll remember in the book of Exodus that the children of Israel followed a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They, They understood the cloud, the wind. They understood the fire. These were symbols of the manifestation of God's presence and God's power in their midst. They saw this. They felt it. They experienced it. They had an encounter with the living God. It wasn't just the God of a book, but the God of the book came alive. The presence of God is what we need in in our world. The Bible says in his presence is the fullness of joy. You might have come in here grumpy. You need some joy. It's in God's presence, amen? You say, well, maybe not in someone else's presence, but in his presence, certainly you can have the fullness of joy. In the presence of God, there is healing. You know, I've prayed for years, and some of you have as well, that we could just walk into a room like this, and because God's here, people just start getting healed. Nobody lays hands on anybody because God lays his holy hands on each one of us. That's what we're believing for. It's in his presence. In his presence, hard hearts soften. We might have some callous over our hearts. You might have had an argument on the way to church, but when you get in the presence of God, you start getting a little irritated because he's trying to soften you. Amen. God wants to soften us so he can set us on fire, remind us of of what we're doing and why we're here. As we worship and pray and seek the living God, we're going to experience his presence just like they did. This isn't a story that we we remember. This is something that he's doing here today, the manifest presence of God. The third thing is the church received the power of God. In verse 4, it says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues. The word tongues just means uh, languages. This infilling was also what we refer to as the baptism with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1, the purpose of the baptism is clarified. I give you power to be a witness. Now, there are many evidences that obviously come with that. There are six different stories in the book of Acts where people were baptized with the Holy Spirit. I'd say half of the time they spoke in tongues and prophesied. The rest of the time they were emboldened to be on fire. All of the time the church spread the gospel. But there were supernatural things that happened. This is the baptism of his power. When we come to Christ, the Bible says very clearly that we are sealed 
by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. He comes to regenerate us. We are dead in our sins and our transgressions, but the Bible says that when we give our life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and makes us alive, and he makes his home inside of us. But there's this second experience that not all the body of Christ believes in, but we certainly do. And that is a subsequent experience where the power of God comes upon us so that we can actually do what Jesus did. That's not just receiving the Holy Spirit, it's receiving his power. It's a very different thing. This is where God activates the spirit-filled life so that we can make Jesus known in the world. And that's what it's talking about. And so this baptism of the spirit cannot be lost on us. How many of you understand what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is? Go ahead and raise your hand. And the the rest of you, you're just asking the question. And this room is probably filled with a lot of folks in different backgrounds. Maybe you grew up Lutheran or Episcopalian or Catholic or Presbyterian or Baptist, and they didn't teach the baptism of the Holy Spirit the same way that we do. I've got a lot of teachings on it, and I don't have time to explain all of it. But I want to tell you that it is an empowerment that we need, friends. We cannot live, live the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit. And that baptism is an activation. It happens on one day, but then we need to be filled every day. Ephesians 5 says, be ye filled or continually filled to overflow with the Holy Spirit. How many of you have just recognized that your best day is still not enough? Amen. You're not just going to get up and grit through it and you're going to be able to do it. That's not how it works. You need power and it doesn't come from your best efforts. It doesn't mean we don't give effort. It just means that there's more available than our best effort. And I thank God for that. I remember when I got saved, I was 19 years old. And for about six months, I was a really excited on fire Christian. But one of our friends got out of prison That's the kind of life we were living, amen. I've I've since been converted and changed, you know. (laughs) It's like, did he say he was ministering in prison? No, prison ministry, amen, prison (laughs) ministry, all right. Um, But one of our friends got out of prison, and he started talking to us about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And um, and, and he, uh, he went to our church that we were going to, and he kind of rolled his eyes and everything. He got tolerated. He said, now you need to come to our church because uh, I was white. He was black. He's like, you got to come to black church. So we went to black church and it was 17 hours long. It was amazing. <laughs> and uh, I want to tell you, there's a whole lot more going on there. You know, uh, I don't know if that's offensive, but anyways, because I want to be in between somewhere. You know, I don't want white church, black church, Hispanic church. I just want church. Amen. And everybody comes. That's what we want. So we went to his church and everybody's speaking in tongues and all that. And we went and did this Bible study after that. And he was like, you guys, he was pushing us. You guys need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we're like, yeah, okay, amen. You know, so he starts praying in tongues in another language, a spiritual language. That's why he just started off. Hauling. He was not shy. And this is what happened. I was already loving Jesus. I was already saved. I was already telling people about Christ, but I felt a power come over my body. I thank God I was sitting down. Some of us have had this experience. Some it's not quite like this, so we shouldn't expect the same for everyone. But I had like a low-level electricity go through my body for about 30 minutes while I was sitting there in the chair. And my whole, I mean, I started seeing visions. I started dreaming dreams. That was the day, literally, that I started having prophetic words come to me. The gifts of the Spirit just opened to me in a whole new dimension. I was baptized with the Holy Spirit. And now I went from on fire to like on fire. You know what I mean? I went from this little light of mine to flamethrower Dixon. You know what I'm saying? But I'll tell you, listen, that day, as powerful for me as it was, it made me recognize that I need something more than myself. 
And so it, that flame starts to grow dim, doesn't it? It starts to grow dim. And that's why the Bible helps us and says you need to be filled with the Spirit every day. You need to be filled with the Spirit every day. So for those of you that have been baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit, don't you dare think for a second that you get out of the prayer that I'm about to pray in about five minutes. Because we need to be on fire continually. And there's a delusion that will set into us and an apathy that will come upon us if we're not careful because we'll remember what God did. And, oh, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but we don't look like a flame anymore. And God wants to renew that fire in us in this season, at this age, to use us in however he deems necessary. And so don't let what has happened stop you from what needs to happen. We thank God for those testimonies and, and, those, and those stories, but God, through the baptism with the Holy Spirit, will take our weakness and make us his witness. Come on, that just sounded right. You can tweet that or whatever you do, tweet it. Don't do it. Anyways. The fourth thing about a church on fire is they proclaim the gospel of Jesus. I want you to notice something as I, as I close on this point. Very important. The fire of God started in an upper room, but it didn't stay there. Did you notice that? It started in an upper room, but it didn't stay there. If there is a real revival, it cannot stay in a gathering like this. Real revival cannot stay in our living room, and it cannot stay in God's, in God's house. It has to touch the streets, the highways and the byways. It has to touch our family, friends. Amen? It has to touch the streets that are in need. It has to from the skyscrapers to the streets. If the gospel, if God's people don't have something that goes outside of these buildings and this property, it's not revival yet. It might be renewal. It might be refreshing. And amen, we need that. But to have revival, it's got to go outside of, of, these, of these buildings. It says here in verse 6 to 12 that when they were filled with the Spirit, they spoke in other tongues. And all these people from 13 different dialects heard them speaking or praising God in their own language. What a supernatural thing that was. And there were two different responses. It says amazement and the others were mocking. There's always going to be two responses to the move of the Spirit, always. There will be people that are curious, amazed, and perplexed, and there will be people that will mock. That's always what's, it'll just divide a room just like that. It'll divide a room just like that. And Peter gets up. Because they were like, maybe these guys are drunk. And it was 9 a.m. in the morning. And he says, these men are not drunk as you suppose, but this is that. And then he quotes an 800-year-old prophecy. The reason that they were so excited wasn't just because they were Pentecostals and they were drunk in the Holy Ghost, you know. I know you may have heard some of that stuff, but that's not what happened. There was a group of people that realized a historical moment was upon them. Can you imagine being in that room and recalling an 800-year-old prophecy and realizing the fulfillment is now? If we were reading the Bible in Joel chapter 2 and God decided today, right now, this moment, I'm going to fulfill an 800-year-old prophecy and there's not one person in this room that's getting out of it, I think you'd be a little excited. I think if you came in here with a frown, you'd be smiling right now. I think a couple of you might start tapping your toe a little bit. It takes a lot, I know. It takes revival for you to tap your toe, but I think it would happen. A couple of you might, might do, do the swing. You might, you might get into it a little bit, like, oh, maybe I'm getting Pentecostal. I'm not sure. And then some of you that don't raise your hand, you, you'd be fighting it. Oh, Lord, what, what is happening there? I might, I, might just, I just might raise my hands today. Lord, help me. Wow, what is, what is going on? You know, from Presbyterian to Pentecostal, you're going to write a story about it. It's amazing. Presbyterian's fine. I'm just messing around. But Peter gets up. Remember coward Peter? Denied Jesus? Something changed in him. 
It was the baptism with the Spirit. He gets up and he explains, and he preaches a sermon, and his sermon was so piercing that the people asked this question, what must we do to be saved? What kind of anointing must have been in that moment when he preached? I mean, we got to ask God for that kind of anointing. Like, your sermon can be terrible, but people will come under a conviction from the Spirit and say, what must we do to be saved? And 3,000 people were saved and baptized in water. And then the book of Acts tells 30 years of history where they became bold witnesses and spread the gospel everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. The church was on fire because of the power of the Holy Spirit. If you don't feel like you're a good witness today, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. That's it. Kick the religious guilt and get hungry for the power of the Holy Spirit. That's all we need. That's what we need. Somewhere around 62 AD, scholars estimate there were 10,000 disciples. Maybe a lot more, but that's what they say. By 200 AD, we can account for anywhere between 200 to 300,000 disciples, Christians naming the name of Christ. And by 350 AD, there were millions, and they can't count anymore. And today, people will say one-third of the planet, two billion Christians in, in our world today. Maybe that number's half that, uh, by real metrics, but still, let's say there's one billion Christians today. What a miraculous spread that God has done through feeble, weak people like us. I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just saying God could have done it any other way, but he filled people with the Holy Spirit and sent them out with a message. That's God. That's what he did. But here's the bad news. According to modern research, it says 78% of churches are in the decline or plateauing and the 22% that are experiencing growth mostly because of membership transfer from one church to another. The church in America is in decline, and I want to see this changed in our generation. I want that to turn around, and it ain't going to turn around just because we have better programs, friends. We need the power and the fire and the life of the Holy Spirit. As we have our missionaries and our mission leads come and share with us today about doing I don't know what you can do. I don't know what you can get involved with, but I want to tell you this. Not all of us are going to be great evangelists. Paul said it this way, some sow, some water, some reap, but God gives the increase. So don't excuse yourself from the going and just build up on the knowing. Don't do that. God has called you to know and go in some way, and it may not be through our programs. It may not be through the local church, but God put you in a business, and he wants to use you right where you are. God planted you in a neighborhood, and he wants to use you right where you are, not just in this building, not just through our programs, but God has his hand on us, and he wants to use us for his glory in some way. And if all we do is just say, yes, he will, he will absolutely use us to plant, to water, and to reap. And we need to shine the light of Christ in the days in which we're living. And so I want to close by, the, by doing this. Um, man, I rushed through that sermon. Wow. All right. None of you slept. I'll tell you what. None of you slept. Yelling at you today. Uh, we just got back from Costa Rica. That's what that was. Amen. I don't know. There's an anointing in that country. Uh, but uh, I want to say that today... Before we go out to the gym, I pray that you have some time to go and explore a little bit. We do have some snacks and other things too. But I want to pray for the baptism with the Holy Spirit today. That's what I want to pray for. And I want to tell you something. Some of you have prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you've been nothing but discouraged. You didn't speak in tongues. You didn't prophesy. You didn't hear God's voice. You're just frustrated. <laughs> and the last thing you want to do is get prayer for that again. But I want to tell you something. 
the disciples, when they received the baptism of the Spirit, it says that they were tarrying. They were waiting in an upper room. They were in a posture of expectation. Sometimes God doesn't do it right now. But as we move towards him to receive what God has, friends, all we do is stay in that posture and God sends the fire. You got you to build it. God will send the fire. That's the truth. For me, I didn't even speak in tongues. I never had a prayer language for at least six or seven months after I got baptized with the Holy Spirit. It took some time. It took some time for me to wrestle that out with God. But I noticed the difference. You and I have to wrestle that out with God to receive what he has. We don't just sit back and say, Lord, I'm open, I'm available. Just do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. And then we just Netflix, Hulu the, the rest of the night away. Amen. We, you got to take a, amen. We got to take some steps if we want to be on fire. We got to put ourselves out there a little bit. We got to ask for prayer. We got to seek God. We might need to fast a little bit. God help us. We might need to put ourselves out there a little bit and watch what God will do. It just, if you just sit back and stay open, that's not, that, that's, that's not much. That's, that might be where you are, and I don't want to discourage that, but that's not where God, God wants you to take a step. Amen. He wants you to take a step. So I am your provoker today, and I'm not letting anybody out. But I want to pray for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. So there's two kinds of people in here today. Those that have been baptized with the Holy Spirit at some point, and you, you need a refreshing work of the Spirit. I'm not asking for a show of hands. I'm telling you, we need a refreshing. We need a refreshing work of the Holy Spirit. We're going to pray for that today, together as a church family. And then there are some in here, you need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit for the first time. You need an activation of God's power in your life. And if you, if you know that's you because you're not sure, that's an indication. If you're not sure, I, I need... God's power. And it's an issue of faith. We pray and we believe God does it. It's that simple. We're not begging. We're not trying to perform or prove. We ask, fill me with the Holy Spirit, and God, and God, will, God will do it. He'll send the fire. Would you stand to your feet? Let's do that together. Would you bow your heads and let's just receive from the Holy Spirit by having our hands out to heaven to receive from him today. If you're here and you're saying, Pastor Ben, I need to be for the first time, and I'm not sure that I'm baptized with the Holy Spirit, would you just put your hands up to me right now and raise your hand? I want to know if that's you. You're saying, Pastor Ben, that's me. Raise your hand up high. Let me see it. Pastor Ben, I want you to pray for me today. Let's pray together. It's not my prayer that's going to make it happen. It's our prayer. Join my prayer together. Let's agree for what God wants to do today, right now. Father, we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Wherever you are, if that's you, just pray. Ask him. Just simply, I ask you to fill me. Baptize me with the Holy Spirit today. I want to be on fire. I reject and I renounce apathy. A casual Christianity, it's, it's not my lot or inheritance in life. I don't want that. I don't want just a new religion. I don't just want a little bit of discipline. I want to be on fire. I want to move past where I've been. And I need you to do it, God. I've proven that I can't, so come, Lord, like a flame in my life. And I pray that you would touch me today and you would burn up the things that are hindering me from stepping out and making you known in the way that you've designed me and the way you've called me. I don't have to be like anybody else, but Lord, I want to be the spirit-filled version that you made me to be. No excuses. No, no paths out of this, Lord. I want to step into it. God, I pray today for our church family that you would baptize us with the Holy Spirit. Those that are raising their hand and they're saying this is the first time, would you meet our faith today as we pray what the scriptures say? Would you do that right here and would you do that right now? We ask you to do it. And we pray that there would, it would come with evidence. We ask you for boldness today. 
And we're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation. We're not gonna hole up in our church and worry about what people think, Lord. We're not gonna be afraid of what our family thinks anymore. We wanna be on fire and filled with the Spirit. God, we pray for all those today that are asking that, those even that are online. I just have a picture of folks in their living room right now, and that's what, that's what you want, right where you are. We pray that God would fill your living room and your house with his glory today. And for the rest of us, that's, that's all we just pray with me, for God to baptize you fresh, to fill you with his power, and we'll close. Father, we pray that you would send a flame. We pray, God, that you would, that Northwest Church would be on fire for Jesus. And the evidence of that would be a new boldness that we would pray in the Spirit. We would prophesy. We would manifest the gifts of the Holy Spirit both in and outside of the church. We would be credible, prophetic, bold witnesses in the world where you place us. And I pray the evidence of that would be 2024. 2024 would be a new year for us as a church of the expansion of your kingdom from this place and beyond. We thank you, Lord. Whatever you're doing in us, fulfill it. Whatever you're saying to us, let us hear it. Whatever you're asking of us, let us obey it. We pray for that today in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Thanks for listening today. Pastor Ben's mission is to equip the church to impact the world. If you want to get connected, check the show notes and visit bendixon.org. From there, you can learn about Pastor Ben's other podcasts, the books he has written, Ignite Global Ministries, and the online Immersion Discipleship School.